Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sareka Thanendra Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less-than-transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside. Because learning from other authors, editors and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers, as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. Today's episode is with Jessica George, or as she prefers to be called, Jess. To know Jess is to love her, and I think this episode is going to fill your heart with such joy, even as we broach some heavy topics quite early on. We speak about the way she came to understand grief after the death of her father, her moving diary entries, some of which have made their way into her novel, and her ability to write around that grief to give us something so special in Mame. Mame is Jess's debut novel, but the sixth story she wrote and submitted to publishers. We speak about why it took her until her sixth to eventually land her a UK deal in an eight-house auction and a lucrative preempt by a US publisher, St. Martin's Press. She writes, and as she says herself, speaks with the soul of a woman who has lived a life well beyond her years. Mame comes out in 2023, but I have left a pre-order link in the show notes because I know this is a gift you'll want to give yourself and others around you. I hope you'll enjoy this episode filled with Jess's infectious laughter and warm spirit. I'm so happy to have met Jess and to be able to introduce Mame and this generous author to make it make sense. Hi Jess, welcome to Make It Make Sense. Hello, thank you for having me. It's so nice to see you. I should say that Jess and I share a fantastic agent, Jemima Forrester, and that's how we came to know each other. I feel really lucky that I get to speak to you at this part of the process because I think it's a part of the publishing journey that if you're not a published author that you don't really have much insight into. So Mm. it's a kind of interesting midpoint to catch you on. But um, we'll hopefully have you back, or we will have you back once the debut's uh, launched as well. Um, but I'd like to ask and start with a question I ask all of our authors, which is, what did you want to be when you were younger? So <laughs> I wanted to be what my mother wanted me to be, which uh-huh. was a lawyer. <laughs> so very typical. I try not to generalise, yeah. but it's very typical um, parental aspiration for your children. Yeah. So my choices were lawyer, doctor, mm-hmm. or engineer, I think. So so easy options. Yeah, of <laughs> course. Professions that don't require much work. <laughs> um, but yes, that was what I felt I had to be, mainly the lawyer. I think I picked that out because I enjoyed sociology. I quite enjoyed family law, mm-hmm. but in a, in a school aspect rather than, I'd rather take this outside and do it for the rest of my life. And so before college is when I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. And so I chose international business because a friend of mine was doing international business, which is just the worst thing you can do. It's, it's, I hate that I have somehow proved my mum right in when she says things like, 
if your friend jumped off the bridge would you jump yeah. off too <laughs> like, well. I mean it's, part, it, it's it's very interesting because I think that does happen because you're only shown a few options to start exactly. off with exactly. so then as soon as you start to see other options because it's exactly the same for me I think my order was doctor engineer lawyer <laughs> <laughs> if you had to lawyer you had to, um, yeah. and then you you were suddenly shown all these other options you're like oh that sounds interesting but totally makes sense yeah it's a shame we don't get to just try everything for yeah. like a month just to see what we want but I chose international business and I really hated it I hate numbers and numbers hate me and so <laughs> I I'm glad that I had enough sense to stop after a year and so I remember the day I decided, okay, I'm not coming back to international business. And I was sat on the train, which is such a, such a writer moment. I feel like <laughs> writers say it all began on a train, <laughs> but it did actually begin on a train because I went to university in Uxbridge, which from where I was living was about an hour on the train and another hour back to my house. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of sat on that train. It was quite empty because it was 11 AM. And I don't think you go into Uxbridge unless you're going to the university. <laughs> And so I was kind of sat there like, okay, I'm not going back to do international business, but I have to do something. I felt like I was running out of time to pick something that I would then do for ever, maybe. Mm. And so I kind of sat there and was like, well, what do I enjoy doing? And I mean, it was writing, but I just didn't see writing as a career option mm-hmm. because I mean, (laughs) publishing has still so far to go. It's so much better than where it was 10 years ago, but there's still so much to do. But back then it was, I just didn't see anyone like me writing or Mm. writing about anything that I wanted to write about. So it just didn't seem like a career I could pick. And so even though I was so determined to write, it wasn't a career at the time, career option to me. And so I thought, well, I love books. I love reading. And this was back when I thought publishing was, <laughs> working in publishing was just reading books all day. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, this seems like a clever option. But I just couldn't stop thinking about writing. So on that train home, I remember it so well because it kind of goes, well, the route, I don't know if it's changed in 10 years, but it would go overground and underground. And so mm-hmm. when it was overground, I would log on to Gumtree, which was a secondhand website. Yeah. I don't know if, it's, if it happens anymore, but it's kind of like eBay. And I bought a secondhand laptop. It was a mini pale pink <laughs> HP laptop. I'm so upset I don't have it. I don't oh, know where it is. I'm just so, going to ask you. Oh, it hurts my heart so much. No, I don't have that anymore. I don't know where it is, but I know I don't have it. And I bought it for like such a great price because it was secondhand and mm. it was still working. And it was delivered in a couple of days. And I remember I would always charge it. This was before I understood what power banks were. So I would charge it fully before I went to bed. And then I would take my laptop with me on my train journeys to uni because I had to finish out the year since I'd Mm. taken the loan out for the year anyway. And I would just start writing things on my train journey. Wow. That, wow, you you are the epitome of a ride on a train. It's so typical. Found themselves. (laughs) On a train. (laughs) so so you you studied the rest of that year in international business or did you switch into creative writing modules so um it was international business for that year and then when my mum was like you can pick whatever you want but you have to go to university you need a degree Mm -hmm. and I was like oh okay then I went to do English literature 
because there was a creative writing mm. aspect to that um, in the first year anyway. So I went to the University of Sheffield to study English literature for three years. Wow. Okay. Well, and then you finally, and were you writing that whole time that you were studying as well? Yeah, yeah. I was in my room. I was the girl that was just in my room, <laughs> just trying to write something that would, that I could put the end on. and did you did you feel like that time that you were studying English literature that it really was the right thing to do writing or studying English literature studying English literature um not really Mm. I I have I kind of had a problem with my English literature course because that all the texts literally all the texts Mm. were just old middle-aged white men who were dead Mm. now Mm. and just you know I I can't write things like that I can't write middle march or Ulysses if I wrote that Mm. and tried to get it published it wouldn't happen it just it didn't make much sense for me to be to spend so much of my time reading these texts that would have not much bearing or not much help in writing or even the publishing industry Mm. I remember when I first started interviewing and publishing someone actually said to me we don't want to hear that your favorite you know book is by the Bronte sisters or it's a classic because it doesn't reflect the market now no. you want to hear that your favorite book is a book that you've recently read mm. so it really didn't put me in much stead for my future career but I did enjoy it I did enjoy aspects of it and you know when it came to having a degree it had to be English English lit or mm. I couldn't think of anything else to pick yeah yeah, yeah. and I also think um I think this is from a Stephen King writing book, a book on writing by Stephen King. And he says that try to read through books that you don't like, just so you know what you don't want to write and <laughs> not to diminish a whole degree. Not to diminish it all into, actually, yeah. yeah, but um, maybe that that is also the purpose that it served for the time that you were there. Yeah, that's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. Um, can you then tell us a little bit about the process of how you've gotten yourself here? So how you found Jemima or maybe Jemima found you and um, the process of uh, your manuscript, editing that with her and then how it got you then to the publishing deals? Okay, so um, I actually started off writing in YA because it was mainly what I was reading. Mm-hmm. And so before Mame, which is the book deal I have now I've written so this mam is my sixth book so I wrote five in full um I attempted to get them all published and oh there wasn't really a lot of information back then when I was first Mm. trying to submit um but thankfully I was also working part-time in in Waterstones and they had they were the first introduction to writers and artists Mm -hmm. that big book of publishing information if you want to get published it's a great book to read um and in there it lists all the literary agents and what they're looking for and what they want and so I started submitting those those books one after the other and they all got rejected (laughs) and then um the one before Mame which was a book that I was really passionate about wasn't written in my my voice entirely Mm-hmm. Um, but I really loved writing it and it was the book that I, I was so sure was going to get me published and it and it got me a literary agent but um, no, publisher want, well, no publishers wanted it and so 
eventually that literary agent and I parted ways just we just weren't clicking it was nothing negative nothing Mm -hmm. mean or awful we -hmm. just kind of decided we weren't working very well together and then I think I was working on something else before my dad passed away and I kind of dropped that and was like okay I'm not writing anything at the moment but the grief kind of hit me so hard I writing kind of felt like home kind of felt Mm. like comfort and kind of felt like something I could understand at the time and so I just started writing diary entries so I tell this to anyone who will listen mom is the book I didn't intend to get published because Mm. I wasn't writing it in a sense of okay we're gonna slap a cover letter on this and send it out it was very much like I don't feel like I have anyone to really talk to and that's something that's not really discussed when it comes to grief is just Mm. how lonely it is despite you know everyone around you kind of suffering from the same loss and so it was just great to be able to write down how I was feeling it wasn't very cathartic at the time but it was just nice Mm. to attempt to kind of understand what was happening Mm -hmm. and so every day almost every half hour I was just writing something down about oh this is happening this is how Mm -hmm. I feel what do I do what should I do what makes most sense and um, I think it was a few weeks after the funeral because of COVID when my dad passed and the day of the funeral were quite spaced out because things were just taking a lot longer mm-hmm. understandably and so it was quite a while before I thought maybe turn this into an actual book turn this into something to to send out and that's mm-hmm. when I tried to I had to really try and bulk it out because <laughs> diary entries don't make much in terms of word count <laughs> I think the diary entries made 10,000 words and Mammy now stands at about 80 yeah so I had to you know really bulk it out and then it was about at 50,000 words maybe when I submitted the when I picked some literary agents I picked about six that I wanted to submit to mm-hmm. um I really wasn't expecting anything back from this. I, it's just, it's the way the world works is so funny because the five books I wrote before Mame, I was so sure about each time, each and every time I was so sure that someone was going to be interested. Mm. And Mame was the one where it's, it was almost mechanical. You write something, then you send it out. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I've been operating. And so I sent out Mame to six literary agents which again just proves that I had no intention because before I sent, I would send to like 20, like 25, <laughs> just widen the net, get as many as I could possibly get. And so I sent to six. I didn't think people would enjoy it because it's quite sad. Mm. It's just, and it's only after writing Mame that I realized that the grieving process is so individualized and that the only universal thing about grief is losing someone is death Mm. and then after that it's your own thing and so you know my protagonist kind of you know starts cracking jokes in in the midst of the grim reaper Mm. in the midst of her dad's death and I just thought people aren't going to understand that they're going to think I'm so strange when you've lost someone the last thing you should ever do is laugh for Mm. at least a year 
you must <laughs> wear black at all times. You can't think of the future. You can't be happy. You can't date. Yeah. Can't. I thought all the Google searches, people were going to find weird. Mm. And so I submitted to the six agents and kind of moved back to the book that I was working on before my dad passed. Mm-hmm. And then agents started getting in touch. And the first, I remember the first agent, I was having a movie night with, with my friend and she was on her way over. And I got a message back, an email back, and it was on my phone. So on my phone, my screen isn't as big as it would be on like a laptop. And so when the email popped up, it was just like, hi, Jessica, I've read, I've had a chance to read. And I was like, oh, well, I've been down this road before. I was <laughs> say, Thank you for your time and your consideration. But I'm afraid we're not interested. So I was like, oh, yeah. fine, just opened the email. And um, it said, I've read your first three chapters and I'd very much like to read the rest. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness, but it's at 50,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not quite ready. So my friend came over. I was like, oh, I don't have time for a movie night. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I friend. need to finish my manuscript. <laughs> Send it in. Yeah, I just, I have this thing of keeping things very close to my chest if I'm worried of failure. So I didn't actually tell my friend when she came over. I didn't tell my friend that, oh, this big thing has happened because um, I was just afraid it wouldn't, I still was afraid it wouldn't go anywhere. So I just, I got through movie night as best as I could. That's, that's, uh, that's a feat in itself because I know how thrilling it is to receive those emails for you to just sit there and watch a movie through that. And it it was a Friday, so I was like, okay, you have the weekend, you have the weekend. So she left and I was straight on the laptop. And then I didn't talk to anyone in the weekend. I was just working on it, working Mm. on it, working on it. Sent it on Monday. And then the other replies came in during the during the course of the week. And um Jemima was the penultimate one. She was Mm. the one before in terms of offers of representation mm-hmm. she was I had one more meeting after her but you know she responded in the most like her email was just, I smile whenever I think about it because it was the most personal personal or personable I don't know what word I'm trying to look for but it was just very open and she was just like oh, so I'm so sorry I'm late. My computer crashed. It's <laughs> just I've been having technical difficulties. So I'm so sorry, but I read Mamet and I, I really love it. And I, I hear you have offers of representation, but um, I'd love to read the full manuscript and talk about it afterwards. And so I, I had meetings with literary agents and I mean, you know, Jemima, she's got like one of the world's greatest smiles when you yeah. look at when she smiles at you you just think oh you're so special <laughs> everything's okay <laughs> everything's just so bright she has such a great smile yeah. and I just remember her logging on um because all these meetings were of course on zoom because it was mm. 2020 um and covid was raging and so it was all online and she just had this big smile she's by the sea and so her background <laughs> was just lit <laughs> and she was just so open and friendly and one of the most important things I knew when I was looking for a literary agent was the edits the edits they had in mind Mm -hmm. and actually one agent wouldn't tell me her full edits I remember her saying um something like oh I I 
she she told me about 70% of what she wanted to do mm. and then she kind of said I'm paraphrasing I don't want to put words in her mouth but she said something like I don't want to tell you everything in case you go with someone else okay which which was was quite odd. I, I kind of understand it because maybe yeah. you have you know great ideas that you don't yeah. want another agent to steal but I just I, I kind of thought that was a mistake because mm. working in publishing if there's anything that I've learned is that the editing process can perhaps make or break a team mm-hmm. and so it was so important for me to know everything they had in mind just to minimize any surprises and that's so mm. just so we got off to a smooth start and we just kind of understood each other and where we were coming from mm-hmm. and Jemima was just very open she was like I absolutely loved it but we have a lot of work to do mm. and this 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 and she sent an email and a word doc of her ideas to change and she was just great I loved that she was working at David Hyam which is a great literary agency and I loved that she'd worked in publishing before mm before moving on to literary agency uh, working on to a, moving on to working in a literary agency I just felt she had a lot of knowledge and she loved Mame in a way yeah. that was really important to me because she was just she found so much relatable she works in publishing so yeah she understood a lot of what I was talking about and it's just a book she was really really interested in and it's it's, I think it's really important to have that because mm. the editing process can be quite a rough one when it comes to taking in edits because mm. it's all fun and games when literary agents want you and they're like, oh, yeah. the book is amazing. <laughs> we, we need this book. And then you edit your MS comes back in with like metaphorical red ink all over the shop. So you're just, it's, it's, you just, it's, it. it's important to have the, yeah, exactly. I thought you loved it. <laughs> it was the best thing you'd read this year. Yeah, but that's, that's like, an yeah. interesting uh, point to note that not that, you know, anyone writes a perfect novel right from the start and there's a lot of edits yeah. that it will go through, but um, someone loving it is also just someone loving the premise, loving the writing and exactly. there's yeah. still things that can be adjusted and structured in a way that makes it um, better for the reader in the end as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, talking about Mami, um, it's, I don't, I, I was trying to think of how to describe it because <laughs> It's such a special novel and it's a powerhouse of a novel in terms of emotion and tenderness, which sounds kind of contradictory to be a powerhouse within (laughs) those two um, themes, but I really don't have any other way to describe it because you've written a story about Maddie, who's essentially a sole carer to her father until her mother comes back to look after her father for a year in order for Maddie to live a bit of her own life. And we begin to follow how she does that after spending so long putting her own needs aside. Um, You write such a tender relationship between Maddie and her father, which is really interesting because it's not that they're verbally able to communicate to each other because he suffers from Parkinson's, but also you write um, her in such a dynamic way as well when you see her with her friends and that kind of witty repertoire that they have between them. And there's so much to love in the spiritual and cultural expectations and unwritten rules of Ghanaian families and not sharing private family matters that (laughs) comes to harm Maddie in some ways. And we follow Maddie's struggles at work and dealing with power dynamics and microaggressions. But if I could pinpoint what it was that held 
my emotions and held the tension for me throughout the novel was this sense that Maddie was constantly on this precipice of living her life, um, which I can imagine a lot of people would relate to who would have to care for other people. Um, And she struggles with how to care for her father and how to actually let that responsibility go for a while in order to truly find a version of herself that she hasn't had a chance to become. And we've spoken about this earlier. And, you know, I never want to be someone who projects an assumption onto, especially a female author, that the story that's being written comes from a part of their life. But Mm. when we spoke and I had asked, because I'd read something prior, if this was in part memoir, I just want to recount what you said back to me as it stands, and maybe that's changed now, but you had said, I'm not sure I can say memoir. Around 40% of this is true, but a lot has been fictionalized to create some distance, which maybe that isn't true as it stands, and please feel free to correct it. But I essentially, I mean, how did you do that? It's such a mammoth task to write this beautiful novel. How were you able to distance yourself from the parts that were so connected to you? So that statement very much still stands, yeah, mm-hmm. about, so, you know, it was the diary entries that were the most honest. Mm-hmm. And, but like I said, that was 10K words by the time it was finished. And so to bulk it out, a lot of it was fictionalised. I think the truest parts of this novel is the, the grief and the protagonist losing her, her father. For me, those are definitely the most honest. Um, the dating and the friendship scenes and you know stuff like that. It's it it comes from somewhere, but majority has been has been fictionalized. And so fictionalizing was necessary because uh, this is a hard book for me to read, and I've read it about 12, 13 times because during wow. during edits, I d- I I don't. Every edit back I've had, I read from top to bottom just to make sure it makes sense rather than mm-hmm. just just focusing on the the parts that have comments on them. And so to read this book and essentially relive what has definitely so far been the worst and most traumatic part of my life so far has been difficult. Mm-hmm. And fictionalizing it and adding those funny moments and those pure moments of relief have been Mm -hmm. very necessary for me it's so funny because people say you have to write a book you love I thought that meant (laughs) if you love the book you wrote someone else will love the book you wrote Mm -hmm. and then they will publish it and they will buy it etc but really I think it it, it's talking about editing process you have Mm -hmm. to write a book you love because you have to read it so many times Mm -hmm. and I did have to read this so many times and each time I got close to so it's the book starts off with you know Maddie and her her father still very much alive and you know she's going about work and she's going about friends and she's going about dating but there is a part where she loses her father and every time I get close to that chapter, when mm. I start reading it again, I take a couple of days. It takes me a couple of days to, <laughs> to even go to it. And 
there's certain scenes that are that still break my heart because they are mm. so honest they've come from my diary entries I haven't had to fictionalize those paragraphs mm-hmm. all those feelings all those emotions and all those even those scenes that when it's time for me to edit I'm just like oh god I have to yeah. <laughs> I have to go back to this I have to <laughs> do it again so what helps is that I know after this quite painful scene there is a scene I've made up that makes me laugh mm-hmm. or there is a scene that I haven't made up between my friends which was a real comfort or was mm-hmm. are still memories that I hold on to now when I just need a bit of cheering up mm. and so fictionalizing 70% of it is what got me through it <laughs> really to be honest um yeah. and it was it was completely necessary I couldn't have written this mm. as non-fiction or a memoir because I don't think I would have been able to read it as many times as I have as mm. I have yeah that makes sense I mean it also makes sense I there's a scene in the book where I I emailed you after <laughs> because I have never cried as much as I had when I read that scene and it just kept going I was like I need to I wanted to put it away but I didn't and it makes sense that it comes so authentically from, you know, your di- diary entries. I don't know if that scene did, but um, it just, uh, that that will stay with me a long time. But it, it, you can really see all that tenderness and all that raw emotion comes through in the book. And you've done such a great job of, like you say, balancing it with all the lighter moments. And I, it is one, not to sound so cliched, but it is one of those books where you're laughing and crying and then switching <laughs> back to laughing at things that Maddie's uh, doing but yeah it's um, it, it must still have been such a hard task but I can see how that it would have been slightly refreshing to sit into a lighter yeah. side of Maddie's narrative. Um, at this point of your journey you're currently we spoke about before you're kind of at midpoint so you have just recently met your publishing team this month and received yeah. your proofs for the first time, which look beautiful. <laughs> Thank they look you. so they all, all the images I've seen, it <laughs> looks so beautiful. Um, can you shed some light on the process at this point? Uh, how far is it from when you signed your deals and also what you're enjoying about this part of the process? I'm so glad you asked because yesterday oh, I was yes. crawling through my inbox to find dates of things oh, <laughs> so I have all my dates <laughs> written down here so <laughs> to start from the beginning <laughs> so I submitted to the agents and in September 2020 mm-hmm. and chose to work with Jemima in October 2020 wow yeah and then okay. yeah but then we worked on Mame until May 2021 mm-hmm. so Jemima and I were editing this for seven months Little secret, um, the title Mame, which is just the ideal title for, for this book, yeah. came from Jemima. Came oh, from wow. So this book used to be called Maddie Wright's Mid-Twenties. That was the title? That was the title. That was the title I submitted with, wow. Um, wow. submitted to literary agents with. And we were about the penultimate edit to submit to publishers. And Jemima kind of said, how wedded are you to this title? <laughs> and I said, well, 
not much to be honest because mm-hmm. I know the title plays such a big part in in books mm-hmm. I, I was so surprised to learn that people would react to a book depending on the title and so putting mid-20s on the cover mm. can often may put you off yeah. may put certain yeah. Yeah, a demographic off yeah and so you know she was explaining this and she said well how worried are you to this title and I said mm, to be fair not much <laughs> it's uh if we can think of something better why not and she said mm. I think she gave a few options and then she said what about mammy and I was like oh that's not gonna work nobody knows what that means and she said that might work in your favor Jess yeah. <laughs> something like that paraphrasing something like that and she said it's a really it's a powerful word mm-hmm. it's you know it encapsulates what this book is about yeah. and I the more I, I took the night to sleep on it and I kind of woke up like this is genius <laughs> mammy is it brilliant. cannot be anything brilliant else type. it cannot <laughs> be it cannot be anything else it really can't yeah and I was literally like Jemima this is the title yeah. and the thing we heard back from publishers was what an interesting title mm. we like this title and so little shout out to Jemima there I mean that's it's also such a good um seed as well because you do explain pretty early on what it means I think but then you don't really feel the impact of it till kind of midway or or even past midway of the novel and actually when she speaks about what that word me or that name means to her to Maddie I think it's also another point where I cried. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely, both you and Jemima definitely went uh, with the right direction. It's a beautiful name. So that was in May 21, where we started mm-hmm. submitting to publishers. And um, I chose uh, Olivia from Hachette mm-hmm. and Sarah in the US. She's my US editor in June 21. Mm-hmm. And the first edits from them came to me a month later in July 21 and first proofs have come out March 22. Wow so from July from the first edit from your editors was July and now proofs March. Yeah proofs and I'm we're not quite done I think I'm reading it the last time for the last time now mm-hmm. and so my final edits final ever edits as in cannot touch it again are April. And so what are you, I mean, that does that give uh, give you a sense of pressure or are you enjoying it? How are you feeling about it? I'm enjoying it because of how far my pub date is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the things I talk about, but picking a pub date was very important to me because, mm. so I work as an assistant editor at a publishing house and timing is so important because mm. they're there comes a stage where you cannot change it has to go mm-hmm. especially if you're working with printers abroad and they all have dates they need to make you're not the only book they're printing mm-hmm. the dates just have to be met and so you know by my timeline I had a lot of time to, to work on it because mm-hmm. Jemima and I had been working on it for seven months mm-hmm. so it was I would say perhaps 70 percent of the way it is now Mm-hmm. and so we were almost there but because I was so aware of how troublesome moving a pub date could be mm-hmm. the reason I wanted a 2023 pub date was because I wanted to be able to say I'm not happy with the edits I'm making they're not mm-hmm. the best I could make them and it actually came that moment actually came when it was 
about my my third edit with my publishers so by then you would assume you know you've you've got most of it down there shouldn't be yeah. much more to do yeah and I think yeah. and that was that was their email they sent an email saying you know we're almost there how's this for a deadline and it was like two weeks because it was mm-hmm. really just to read it through and I was working full-time as an assistant editor at the time and I just I remember reading it and I wanted to add this and you know mm-hmm. make this make more sense but I just didn't have the creative sp- the creative mental space and I just mm. I'm 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 quite a stickler for for <laughs> putting if I put my name on it I want it to be the best I've done I could possibly do yeah. at the time and it just it just wasn't mm. and so I knew this was this was going to be one of my get out of jail free cards because <laughs> I had planned for two that was why I picked I, I'd hoped for a 23 date just mm-hmm. so I had at least two opportunities to say I need so much more time than than is than you know you initially gave me and so I kind of I remember going back to my editors and saying I'm not happy with the with what I'm putting out creatively in this can I have more time and they gave me a month extra because Mm. I had the extra time and I was just so so much happier I would just I would hate to get to this final stage sent off can't touch it again and have regrets so I can you know no matter what people think of this book I can honestly hand on heart say it is the best I could do at the time Mm. it was 100% exactly what I wanted and mm-hmm. as perfect as I could make it at the time I took my time and I made sure that everything I want to say I've, I've, I've said and I've, mm-hmm. I've made as, as, as clear as I I possibly can mm. that's I mean that's important to also be able to identify that and also stand mm. by it right and I think probably maybe it did help that you're in the industry but it's also helpful for authors to know that they can ask the same and oh yeah as a back and forth conversation rather than to just say yes to a date that's given to them exactly yeah um just to shift gears a little before we move on to the three things that we kind of are touching in and out of (laughs) anyway um I wondered if we could speak a little bit about the dedication in your book to your dad um would you like to tell us a little bit more about that before we move on yeah so the book is dedicated to my dad of course um who I lost um in 2020 it's it's so strange because you know my UK editor said you know we're sending first proofs out but we'd like to have the dedication in there acknowledgements can come later because it's longer Mm. but we'd like to have um the dedication and I was you know of course it's to my dad it couldn't be it couldn't possibly be to anyone else and I was trying to think of so many things to say you know some some authors kind of say to xyz for doing Mm -hmm. this this and it was there was too much to say so I simply put to my to dad mm-hmm. um god I love my dad so much it's just it's the the, mm. the simplest way to put it I have he has without a doubt you know one of the the biggest pieces of my heart I can't it's funny I say I can't put that into words but I've, I've put it into a book, whole book. <laughs> yeah, yeah a whole book and I'm <laughs> I'm so happy that I've managed to immortalize my father in some way mm. in print 
because my dad was very much introverted. He didn't like taking pictures or videos. So I don't have, I don't have many of those. And, you know, what I hear a lot about people who have lost someone, you know, the, the longer it's been, the harder it is to remember them, which is, mm. which is really sad, but it's, it's just true. And it's no, it's no fault of anyone. It's just, mm-hmm. that's the way memory works. Unfortunately, the longer you go, the, the more details you forget. And, you know, that combined with my, my dad's reluctance to take pictures and videos when he was here, it wasn't looking very good for me <laughs> in terms of, in terms of memory. And so it's so nice to, to have this book, which, which holds so many key memories mm-hmm. of my dad. So, you know, even though the de- dedication at the beginning says to dad, you know, somewhat in invisible ink, it says to Jess as well because mm. um, it's for me as well. Just for just for the days when my memory needs a bit of extra help, it's good That's to have it. Beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, it is such a it is just a beautiful dedication, knowing that the rest of the book is for your dad and for you. Yeah, you know, you've written a love letter to what he was to you and. You've written about grief in a way that's so moving and that's, as you say, forever immortalised and I think that's such a beautiful thing that you've done. Oh, <laughs> don't make me cry. It's my job to make you cry, not the other way around. let's uh, move on to the three things that you want to help make sense of two that you've learned on your publishing journey and the third is something you'd like to make sense of for fellow writers so the first one you wanted to touch on was rejection which is one topic that I think writers have to come to terms with yeah (laughs) some way or another so I'm so happy to speak about this with anyone and everyone but um what, what did you want to share so this 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 isn't so much a um you know I know rejection is hard but just keep going or you know you're one rejection closer to a yes um because as well meaning as and as valid as it is I don't think it makes rejection any less painful especially when you've written about something you really care about you've put so much time and effort in into and I think it's very easy for for someone like me who is no longer getting rejected to Mm -hmm. tell you to not be too disheartened when you get rejected it's I don't know it shows it means a lot to you how hard you take it Mm -hmm. and so it's it's good to look at it from that point of view but I kind of wish you know when I was getting rejected that I kind of took the time to figure out perhaps where I was going wrong I put mm-hmm. wrong in inverted commas because there is no wrong really it's just uh, there's just so many factors that influence a yes mm. and so you know I kind of just tried I wish I'd 
took more time to kind of understand what these standard rejections were mm. actually telling me. And I think mine would have said that the voice of these stories aren't authentic enough or aren't real enough mm-hmm. because so I've written six full books the first four I'll be completely honest were me trying to appease literary agents and their wish lists or to fit mm. into the publishing market um my YA was oh, you know this was back when Twilight was huge and you know so I was like why fantasy is the way to go <laughs> and I was just I didn't have that much love for it but I thought if I want to get published to one day write about what I do mm. want to write about, I have to mm. first make sure everybody's happy and, and, and get those in. And um, no one was interested in those four books. <laughs> I've, I have collected over 200 rejections for wow. my submissions. A lot of them were, were my own fault. So, so doing mm. silly things like submitting my YA to, um, agents who only represent adult because mm-hmm. my book will change their mind surely <laughs> it's oh I'm so embarrassed <laughs> please don't do that easy early mistake <laughs> but yes <laughs> research the agents you're not going to change an agent's mind honestly you're not going to change an agent's mind <laughs> getting their name wrong oh my goodness yeah. but anyway I was receiving rejection upon rejection until my fifth book which was a book that wasn't entirely in my own voice, but it was closer to it. And it was a subject I was very passionate about. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that got me the agent, but no publishers were interested. Mm -hmm. And then we have Mame, which is so in my own voice Mm -hmm. that my best friend read it and said, it's honestly like having conversations with you, Jess. Some parts of this are just like, I can hear you in my head. And it's so strange because I, I'm, I tried so hard to, when I was first writing, to not put it in my mm. own voice because I feel like my own voice and my own tone is quite conversational and I'm quite strange in the way I speak. So Maddie has these moments where she just says things that make her sound 60 and I and I and I, I do I do that as well. I say, I just, <laughs> I talk like I'm, I'm, from the 18th century are just <laughs> random random moments in time and I just thought mm-hmm. this is like nobody's gonna it doesn't make sense you have to write like you know you have to write like Bernadine Everisto or you have to write like Sally Rooney you have to write mm. those kind of you know where it's it's I don't know I felt I was doing something I felt I was I was writing like I was talking mm-hmm. and so that's why I thought that's that's not the way to go and yet every agent, every publisher was like, I love the tone of this. I love the voice of this. Yeah. And so if I'd kind of taken a second to just think maybe the problem here is that mm-hmm. you are trying to appease the market. And maybe the problem here is that you're you're missing out on what you can uniquely bring to this, you know? Mm-hmm. It was a mistake to try and write like others. Mm. essentially so, that's where all my rejection came from between your fourth and fifth book then you said for your fifth book you started to write more in your voice yeah what was it that made you do that was it a realization that you were catering to something or hmm. that's a good question I think actually because the fifth book was 
also was quite personal to me it was Mm -hmm. there was a bit of me in there there was a bit more of me in there you know when you're writing fantasy there's none of me in there because (laughs) I don't don't know how to battle dragons I don't know how to do any of that stuff but the, the the fifth book although you know not biographical was it was dealing with you know things that I was dealing with Mm-hmm. So it was quite easy to put my experiences in there. Mm-hmm. But then I was still trying to make it sound, you know, less like you were talking to me. Mm. And it wasn't, it actually wasn't until Mammy where I, where I realised I had been just, you know, trying to write to make, it sounds weird to say, but I was trying to write to get published, essentially, mm-hmm. and to, trying mm-hmm. to write to, to you know to copy those that had already done well because mm. I assumed that was the the blueprint mm. and it turns out what the blueprint was was being individual and writing how I how I tried not to write the entire time mm. so yeah when it comes to rejection I suppose I mean I'm 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 kind of a stickler for I I I, I believe in the butterfly effect I kind of believe that know one small change can really affect everything and so Mm. I do think the timing was right I'm very happy that you know this has happened now etc etc but I think if if I could go back and say something to (laughs) to all the 200 rejections I'd say (laughs) you know something to learn from this is to the answer is not copying others Mm. Mm. Um, the second thing you wanted to make sense of was the editing process and what we spoke about a little earlier on <laughs> of how someone could love your work and then send it back with all these comments and track changes. Um, but maybe you'd like to shed some light on that. So this is where being an assistant editor has helped me the most mm-hmm. in this entire process because there is, so I work for a children's fiction department part-time now, but when I was full-time, there was this book series that I absolutely adored I thought it was hilarious I would literally laugh out loud and it's a book written for children um in case anyone's interested it's called the worst class in the world it's mm-hmm. a book series by the dream team that is Joanna Naden and Rick and Parekh mm-hmm. and I remember when that manuscript hit my desk and I read it I was like this is hilarious I have to work on this and this one was I was uh, and I was an editorial assistant so I kind of went to the editor whose whose book you know um whose list the book belonged on. And I kind of said, can I just help work on this? I, I just love it. It's hilarious. I, yeah. It's just, it's a fun part. Working in children's can be quite fun because the books are meant to make you laugh. They're not meant to be too serious. Mm-hmm. They're meant mm. to be a break. And I was like, this is going to be such a fun part of the job. Please, can I work on it? Please, can I work on it? And she was like, of course you can. And so they were the best series to work on. And then mm. it was the fourth book where, when I became an assistant editor, and, you know, the editor said, you're going to lead on this when it comes to editorial changes. You're going to lead on this. And I had a lot of editorial comments to make. And I just, I was so glad that I'd had this series to build up on. Oh, maybe it wasn't the fourth one. Maybe it was the third one. Well, mm-hmm. something like that. And I was so glad I had this series because I would just, I was waxing lyrical every time I spoke to to the author I was just like this is me I just it's so funny I love laughing I just love when I pick this book up and I just could laugh about these kids and um but I was I was so scared 
when I was editing this because mm. I was like I don't want her to think that I don't love this book anymore mm-hmm. I, I it's still my favorite book that I'm working on I absolutely love it but I've got so many suggestions mm. so many suggestions and it was that moment that I realized you can tell me how much you love Matt Myth, but if you have a lot of notes I understand it I get mm-hmm. it you do still love this book you mm-hmm. can just see it being better mm. and you can just see it being something more and so it was just really helpful because you know you come from you know if you have the ability to choose which literary agent and you get to choose which publisher you come from just a stage of like adoration Mm. your book is amazing we love it it's great it's Mm -hmm. everything we've been looking for and then all that is over the honeymoon period is over and it's like here is 12 pages of everything that is wrong (laughs) it's everything that you need to change as discussed and it can be a bit of a a, uh, fall from grace when you're just like I thought I thought you said this was amazing I thought we were practically there um so it was just so great to have experienced that with another book because Mm. I didn't take it personally at all and it was very much a case of I saw the edits and I was like take your time take your time to 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 see you know they love it so they're not Mm. giving you edits to to change it massively or to to put something you haven't discussed in it they they have put these edits in because they believe they're the right edits Mm. I stand by the fact that I know Mame and this story better than the editors do Mm -hmm. but the editors know the industry in which we are publishing this book better than I do Mm -hmm. and that's a fact and both together it's a wonderful thing 95% of the comments they've made I've taken on board and I've literally been I've sat here at my desk like I should have thought of that it's so (laughs) obvious I'm the writer of this book how have you seen this and I haven't seen it and it's just I I remember there was an edit stage where I actually emailed my UK and US editor and I was like the edits you're sending are fantastic they are amazing I just it was just this email they loved Mm. it they loved Mm. it but they I was just like this is incredible because they're trying to draw things out yeah. and that's I, I'm, I'm a very introspective person and I love knowing the meaning behind why people are doing what they're yeah. doing and they yeah. were trying the mum was a character they were just trying to you know Jess come on there's something you're trying to say mm. try and say it and they would make these points and it's just oh they were just I just remember that that's my that was my favorite edit I think it was the second or the third Mm-hmm. And I was just like, everything is making so much sense now. Mm. Everything just, you know, they're there to clarify things, not to change your book. They, mm. they, they shouldn't change your book. They're mm-hmm. not allowed to. So you're well within your, you know, if you're not, if you don't agree with that's why it's, I think it's just yeah. so important to, to know what edits they want to make from the off. So nothing's a surprise, mm-hmm. but you know, there were some, that 5%, there were some edits where I was just like, this does, for me, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. but I'm I'm very open about it I'm very open I'm very much like if you have an edit that I don't understand let's take a minute for you to tell me where you're coming mm-hmm. from because mm-hmm. then I will and that that happened a few times where 
you know, you can only convey so much in a comment box on a Word mm-hmm. document. Mm-hmm. So they've said something and, you know, instead of me ignoring it, I'm just like, I don't know where you're coming from. Mm. And then I remember an email from my US ed- ed- editor where she sent what she was talking, what she meant. And it was clear as day that mm-hmm. she was right. Mm. She was completely right. And so it's a it's a team effort. Yeah. But I think it's important to know that, you know, essentially you do know the story better than anyone, but they are coming from it with a, a fountain of knowledge and mm. a lot of experience. And it's so, it's so strange to think that two people who have never read this book before don't really know me, don't know my dad, don't know my relationship with my dad, don't know my mm. relationship with my friends, have such a, a good eye for these things. I mean, it's their job to be fair, but you know, it's just so impressive how how they can read a story and, and really pull out what needs to be mm. said. Mm. So yeah, I think it's really refreshing to hear you talk about that balance because I think at the fun stages of writing your manuscript, you often think about how you would receive feedback. And I remember when I received edits from Jemima and they're always so clever, but I I could tell which ones that I didn't agree with and a little bit like you would talk about. But the ones that do come through, you realise, like you said, the person just wants to draw more out. They want to fall in love with something they already see. Exactly. And so if you've written dialogue between two friends that's just super dynamic and meshing well then they just want more of that because you want because as a reader you want to just keep listening to that conversation or fall into that scene a little more and I think that's also in Mame that happens a lot those moments from grief to when um I'm now totally blanking on the names that I just read two days ago. Naya and <laughs> oh yes, and Nia and Shu. Nia, yeah. Nia, Nia, yeah, Nia and Shu. Just those those bits of dialogue. <laughs> and I also remember Jemima loves dialogue between girlfriends, and yeah. it's so true. Those are the things that you just want to stay in as long as you can, and that's the whole purpose of reading a book, which is such an isolated process. You want to stay in those beautiful moments and. Exactly. I think that's exactly what you've done. You've you've taken feedback and edits from your editors and just drawn out these characters so that we can fall more into the book and the story and into their lives. Yeah, and that's what I mean when I say, you know, the editors understand the industry far better than I do because mm-hmm. I will write these scenes and think that's enough. But they they know that readers will want more mm-hmm. and that's why they try and pull so much out. So it, it really is you know they say you know Jess you wrote this book but the the end result is definitely a team effort mm, mm. was it in the whole uh, process of sitting and writing to now having the proofs was there a point that you could say was the favorite part was it you know getting responses from agents was it the editing is there something so far I know once it's published that's another monumental yeah. moment I mean I think hearing back from the publishers was mm. the best thing because it was so great to hear from agent literary agents and to hear their interest. But I was I was kind of a bit tainted from the previous relationship I'd had with, with, with where it didn't work with the literary mm, agent, mm. and so 
in the back of my head, I was kind of like, well, these agents are interested, but there's still a chance that we won't reach the end mm -hmm. just because it's happened before. So I know it could possibly happen again. Mm -hmm. And so well, when we kind of got to that stage of publish it, I got really excited because, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know this before I entered the publishing industry to work in. But when a publisher says yes, it's not just the editor of the publishing mm. house that has just said yes. The sales team have to clear it. The marketing and publicity team have a say. The design team have a say. The MD might have a say. The managing director might have a say. And so I remember when we were going out to, to publish and I was just, I was terrified because I, I've been in those meetings where an editor will love a book, but you know the rest of the team will just say, sorry we don't see it happening mm, and that mm. editor then has to turn it down because it, it, it needs to be a book that really everybody loves so mm -hmm. everyone can put the energy behind everyone in the publishing house can put the energy behind and so when the yeses started coming through I was like oh my gosh okay this might actually happen that's when it felt like this might actually mm. it might actually happen so that is number one but number two for me was the editing was the editing stage especially that I don't know it, it it helps to go in it with with confidence because because I have worked with authors mm -hmm. I knew that the author is in charge essentially mm. what the author says goes you know if a, if if an editor says can you change this and the author says no the editor is not allowed to change it mm -hmm. they cannot do it your word does does go and so it was it made it such a, a smoother process because I felt I could be very honest and open mm -hmm. with my editors and I just I just knew enough to respect them to know that if they've made a comment it's worth taking the time to sit and think about it mm -hmm. or to reach clarification you know clarification because mm. you know I've worked with so some really amazing editors and they just have an eye for thing and they're just yeah. they're just known in the industry for like you know there's a there's a, a colleague I used to work with who's who is known for finding diamonds mm -hmm. in the rough so she sees what others don't see what other editors mm. might not see and so I've just I've just had the opportunity to witness some really incredible editors and mm -hmm. that just gave me the respect that is necessary for for my editors so mm. I really enjoyed the editing process I love writing I love these characters yeah. and I love I love just trying to <sighs> this book could have been a lot longer <laughs> because I just... it could have been a hundred thousand words if my <laughs> editors had let me because <laughs> I just I love the the meaning behind things I love yeah. finding out why characters do what they do I don't believe in in evil characters or solely mm. good characters I just think there's a reason behind a lot of what, mm. so much of what we do. Mm -hmm. I think people are going to, the mum is an interesting character. I think unless you read her, you won't, you, you, I can't really talk, I can't really yeah. say much. I can't wait for her. you to come back for one day <laughs> once it's out because she's so interesting. And all of them really, even Shu, even the, uh, the way that little things, little gems are uncovered about their kind of intention behind things or. 
Yeah, especially the mum. <laughs> it's hard to describe her if you've not yeah, read it. But, it is. Yeah. yeah so maybe we should, yeah, this will be frustrating, <laughs> but go read. Well, it's it's also great to say that your book is available for pre-order. Yes, on Waterstones. Stones. Yes, yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes. Can you explain why that's also important from a writer's perspective uh, for people oh. to be able to pre-order books? Oh, I mean... It's just so, it would, it's so amazing to have support so early on. It's mm. a scary thing to put your book out there because, you know, it's all well and good to say, you know, the people that have read it have loved it, but mm. I don't think I'm going to write another book as close to my heart as this one because it is about my dad. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very protective over this book. Mm. And so pre-ordering is just a, is a, it's a very, supportive thing to do it's a very scary mm. thing to, to witness it's not out until february 23 so you know it's a while to wait but i don't know it's just a it's a wonderful thing to have a pre-order link ready yeah it is. i mean i <laughs> told about five different friends that i have never quieted a novel like that. <laughs> and i should say not that this is not that that should put people off because <laughs> it is also so funny and that's why you're so deep in your emotions because Maddie is so endearing as a character and that's why you feel so much and why you enjoy all of her highs and you know um it's just such a beautiful book and so I've sent now the pre-order link um, (laughs) to all those people it's it's rare that you can you can push so much that or you can recommend something so much that you say it's coming out in February next year just under a year just shy of a year but please go and order on this link there's got to be something in that right I don't sound like a lunatic for no reason hey just you know just to hit that uh to, to ward off all that instant gratification that we're used to yeah Order. You've, got, you've got to work for it you've got to wait for it you've got to wait for this amazing book that I just cried all over for 11 months but no but it also does help the author I think and for sales and for um oh yeah and uh, to yeah for getting your name out there as well yes. I am a debut you know I've not published anything before yeah so you've got to look after your debut authors yeah <laughs> as, well as, your, as well as your you know your professionals yeah yeah I know this wasn't one of the things that you uh wanted to speak about or make sense of but I think it's interesting because it's or maybe it is common but I don't hear much of agents and authors going their own way um so I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about you know what what is the point that made you think this wasn't the right fit and who had the conversation first was it something that you mutually agreed on Um, You don't have to give us details by any means, but just generally what could an author learn from that? This is a good one to talk about because my my third one was picking a pub date, which I think I've spoken about before because it's really to do with the the editing, really. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I've touched on that already. So this is actually a good one. So it's a hard thing to do when you've waited so long to, Mm -hmm. to find an agent. But it came... it got to a point where her edits weren't aligning with what I wanted to say. And I think there is that instinct. It was, it was, it was perhaps going on for a a few months, but there was just this instinct that, you know, 
she's been doing this for a while she knows what she's doing maybe what she says should go mm-hmm. but it was just it wasn't sitting firmly enough in my brain as a good thing mm-hmm. I wasn't convinced um of the way of the edit she wanted to, to make and also mm-hmm. I was no longer convinced by it I kind of wanted to start from the beginning mm. because I felt like that's where I was I was closest to it and so the book just didn't feel like the book I was I I set out to to write and it's it was so it it took a long time for me to come to that conclusion because I was like this this feels like a wasted opportunity if mm-hmm. you say if you say you know I think we should kind of stop on part ways now. Are you going to regret it? Because this is the only agent that has shown any interest mm. in you. You know, it's been nothing but nonstop rejection. This is the only agent who has offered to represent you. Maybe you should just kind of suck it up, kind of, you know. And I was coming from the the background of of trying to appease others. And so mm-hmm. I thought maybe just keep going. <laughs> maybe this is maybe this is what all writers do. Mm-hmm. And um I just remember trying to work on it and hating it. And that was, that was the tipping point where I was just like, I I would, I would look at, because I write on, on hard copy when I want to edit. And I just remember looking at the pile of papers and thinking, I don't want to return to this the way it is. I would, I was happier when I was returning to it, when it was at the beginning and when Mm. it felt more like, what I was trying to say and you know maybe I was you know misinterpreting their edits because you know sometimes editors don't want to rock the boat with their authors and so if she says one thing and I take it to mean that maybe she doesn't want to say you're absolutely wrong in understanding me Mm -hmm. just go ahead with it and so we just got to a stage where I just I didn't like the book and all I could think about was I need to love what Mm. I'm writing and so I kind of I emailed her one day and I just said this book isn't what either of us want at the the moment I can tell and she she agreed Mm -hmm. and we kind of just parted ways it was a very sad day because I was just like you have probably messed up your only chance to um (laughs) to get published that that would and have been a very scary I mean it's, it's one terrifying. thing to say you know it's not the book we both like but to also say you know whether we should part ways is is quite scary when it's yeah, so it's... hard to land an agent exactly and I you know she was very kind she was very much like I completely understand and you know, I think she was feeling the same you don't want to feel exhausted when you're writing a book mm. and, you know that's probably how she felt it kept coming back it wasn't what she wanted it kept coming back to me it wasn't what I wanted Mm-hmm. and um you know everything happens for a reason doesn't it because yeah. I'm I'm glad I, I we had that talk mm. because you know it's it's would I have written Mamu if we were still working together mm-hmm. you know could say yes but could also say no maybe it's mm. that's not the book she wants to you know not all editors are the same not all not yeah. a, all agents. agents are the same <clears throat> not all agents want to you know put a book out about 
<laughs> um, you know, uh, grief or mm. you know a young woman's journey as a as a later bloomer. So, mm. as you know, it's easy to say now. Glad I did it because Jemima and I are just a better fit, and Mame mm. is just a book from my own heart. But at the time, absolutely terrifying. Yeah, very brave, very brave, and also good to know what the markers are for some people um yeah because sometimes I think when it it, this is also an industry where you're trying so hard to get to the next point exactly yeah (laughs) and when you've reached a certain point I couldn't imagine then thinking oh no I need to start again I need to you know write even write again I mean how did you pick yourself up from that and then right was it just that it was the diary entry so you just yeah I mean I I I did start writing something else before Mm -hmm. my dad died and I really wish I could like you know say oh you know I'm just resilient and I just I just (laughs) knew it was something I had to be but I remember actually taking a break from writing because it just wasn't going anywhere and I just Mm. thought nobody wants to publish what I've written nobody cares (laughs) and it's very self-pitying but also Mm -hmm. you know if you're doing something that you really care about, you really love, and you're putting all your time and effort into it, and all you get is dear author, no thank you, sincerely. It you know, it's a it's a stab to the gut each time. And mm. I was I was just constantly getting rejection and rejection. I just thought, well, there was nothing else I wanted to to really be. I've I have wanted to work with books, I've wanted to work in the publishing industry, but author was always writer was mm. always at the top of my list. And so I, I tried to stop. I was literally like, I threw all my pens away. So dramatic. <laughs> I threw all my pens away. Just it never took a train took, again. <laughs> never took a train again. <laughs> took only the bus. Threw my notebook in the bin. All so, so dramatic, so dramatic. But I was just like, you know, maybe the world is trying to tell you something. You've just been mm. rejected so many times. At what point do you, do you stop? At what point are you perhaps mm. missing out on what you should really be doing? Um, time to find something new and that lasted about two weeks <laughs> I just <laughs> I fished my pick up your pen. bins <laughs> I found my pen behind the bed and I picked it up I just I I can't help but write mm. that's 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 the way I am that's my that's my character I think I at that time when it was so painful I would have love to have found something else Mm. something easier perhaps easier as in you know something you know easier to get into something that didn't take all my spare time because it writing was really taking all my spare time but I just Mm. I love it so much I didn't have a choice I felt like I didn't have a choice there was even when I I really said to myself it's time to find something else it's time to be a bit more realistic because you know when people keep telling you no maybe (laughs) you know there comes a point where you're just like is it me is it me you know everyone's saying no maybe it's me because you know you get rejection you're just like they don't know what they're talking about I'll write something else (laughs) stages of rejection you just get 200 rejections you just think (laughs) maybe you're not as good as you think you are Mm. maybe you can't make this a career because you know you would have by now surely six books Mm. How long, how long is it supposed to take? And, you know, you do all your Google searches. How long does it take before you found an agent? How long before you got published? What book, yeah. what number of book did you get? And, yeah. you know, everyone's saying so much less than you. And you're just saying, okay, well, 
I'm the anomaly. It's not working. So, but I just, I had another idea. Yeah. And so I started writing again. <laughs> I know, God. exactly. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. It's, it was so frustrating, but I'm, I'm so glad that it, that is my disposition where if I have fallen in love with something, mm. it's not easy to throw it away. And it, it is impossible to throw it away because mm. I, was, I was right back on it two weeks later. That's so, I mean, I, I also truly believe that, that if you're going to write and you, you, cause it is a risk. Yeah. Um, it's a risky thing to sit down and start writing pen to paper or even on your computer. It, the, the easiest thing is to just st- stare at a blank document and think, oh, I'll do that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to writing a word on that clean, crisp blank page. But I think, yeah, a writer will always want to write, no matter the rejection and yeah. no matter how long it takes you to come back to that page. A writer will always want to write. And thank God you did because we, get, exactly. we get to have mummy out. And I can't wait. I mean, I'm going to spend the next 11 months sending out this pre order link. And I'm just so grateful that you were one of the first people, actually, that I contacted and asked if you'd be on a podcast. And I don't even think I had an idea of how that podcast would be structured. And you said yes straight away. <laughs> And you're always so generous and kind and encouraging. So I'm so glad I met you. Um, And you're such a beautiful writer. I'm so grateful that readers get to have this love letter to your dad, to yourself, and a love letter to grief. I think it's written in such a palpable and beautiful way that you are going to give space to people that read this book and give them space to experience grief in whatever way, shape or form that feels right to them. Yeah. And I can't wait to have you back again to talk about it. <laughs> and we can talk about the mother and we can talk about all can the talk other about things. The characters that other people yeah. know as well. <laughs> so thank you, Jess. It was such a joy. And thank uh, you so much. I've had such a nice time. Oh, that's it's hard to talk about Mame because, you know, no one's really read it but yeah well you've um, done you've shared a lot and I I uh, definitely know that it's all been helpful for those out there because it's it's also such different everyone has such a different path to get to the point that they have I think sometimes you look at the bookseller announcements and you just assume everyone just got a publisher and it's their first book and they've got the oh yeah first but (laughs) more often than not it's not that and so it's great to hear people and the the different ways that they've come to that point so it's so funny you mentioned that because I remember I went back to work and they were like um such a big deal for your first ever book that you've written I was like this is my sixth book please I've been at this for years <laughs> I just didn't tell anyone about it <laughs> yeah then people read debut and they assume it's the yeah. first thing you've ever written I mean I do that book. I just I just interview <laughs> all the time all the time even though I know writers now where it's not even yours I probably assumed that it was your debut meaning your first I think Kasim Ali had written I'm going to get the number wrong, but I think Good Intentions is his 22nd submission. And I just assumed. Also, because you're... I, I'm, I thought I was his first. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. There you go, Jess. Yeah. Jess. <laughs> She's going to oh, okay. rewind that and put that on. <laughs> <know. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sarika Thanendra Dharamu, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense. 